Hi, welcome to episode number 155, Tim Whalen's episode on the Apple Lab Podcast. Before we get started, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in part by Bose All Natural Brewing. Check their Lug Tread beer out. It's crisp, balanced, and refreshing. Lug Tread is a lagered ale. It's a term they coined. It's fermented like an ale and cold aged like a lager. Now, if you know what that is, then you're a beer nerd. It's been Bose flagship since they opened in 2006. As of 2017, it's now available in 355 milliliter cans. Those, those little tiny ones. And it's won more than 20 awards since, since now. Also check out their full-time IPA. It's hoppy, fruity, and bold. It's their newest full-time brand, which is how they got it the name. This medium-bodied ale finishes with dry and lingering hop fruit notes. So pick up bows anywhere beer is sold, nationwide. That's Canada only, okay? If you're listening from somewhere else, and I've noticed since the Chris Ashworth episode that people are tuning in from all over the world, I want to let you know that Bose is the best beer in Canada, okay? So when you come to Canada, you go to the bar and you say, I want Bose, and it comes in these big, massive bottles. And get the Tom Green beer, and you'll be cool. Amongst beer snobs, you'll be the coolest. Hey, Amazon shoppers, do you want to support the show? Sure. Do you want to shop on Amazon? Everybody does. So go to appalog.ca slash Amazon or appalog.ca slash US Amazon, and you'll be redirected to Amazon's website. You can shop and support the show. Make sure you bookmark that link, the appalog.ca slash Amazon, and you will be supporting the show. It will cost you no extra money. If you want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can go to appalog.ca and click on those links on the right side. Bookmark those links. Same thing. Shop on Amazon. Support the show. Costs you no extra money, and it does help the show out tremendously. If you want to help the show out on a monthly basis, go check out patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. You can cancel any time. There's rewards on there. You can have your name mentioned. You can have a business advertised and all other stuff like that. So go check that out. Patreon.com slash you can go to applog.ca slash shop to buy a t-shirt. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod And follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Woo! I get it right under three minutes, mostly. And there it is, three minutes. Today on the show, I have Mr. Tim Whalen. He's a very old friend of mine. He's a very smart friend of mine. He started life off as a as a musician guy, and now he is a getting his PhD in psychology, and that's a big switch in life. If you're an iron worker, and then you somehow get yourself in the university where you can be, you know, up with some of the top minds in Canada. That's Tim. He's a smart guy. He's a very analytical guy and a, and, a, and a good friend. And I want to introduce you to him. And here he is, Mr. Tim Whalen on the Uplog Podcast. glad you came over it's it's been a very long time since i have uh, seen your face i think it's been a good five years at least five easy and that was just a quick stop by yeah you're coming by yeah because you're working with your brother mm. yeah we've known each other probably since when since i had the studio on uh in scarborough birch mountain in what was it i don't remember now mm. Birch Mountain. Wasn't Birch, was it Birch Mountain? Birch Mountain and uh, somewhere? You can't remember where the studio was. No, I don't. I can't remember where Ellesmere. Birch Mountain, Ellesmere? I do know that I always get this memory of that place 20 years before that because there was an after hours bar there that we used to all leave from the Gasworks or Rock and Roll Heaven, whatever those two places we were gigging, and go there to that after hours. It was very close to that, that factory. Oh, Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. a good 20, 30, 20 years before that. Yeah, that's the time of booze cans. Like, yeah. booze cans yeah. were like a thing. Like, right. which one are you going to? Because the bars are closed at one. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, yeah. what are you going to do now? And the rave scene come out of that. Yeah. You used to get these little tickets like, 
This is where it's going to be. Last minute. Mm. Do you ever get into that stuff? Crazy I shit. Never yeah. went to raves. Well, it was the beginning of it. Yeah. I did actually never. I realized that raves weren't. I didn't really enjoy the music. It was more of a drug culture thing, anyways. Where... Yeah. Well, but the early ones, the music was rock. It was rocking. It was different, but it yeah. was still. It was out there. I, I was. I was always in for something different. <laughs> when did you move to Toronto? Because uh, mm. you're from New Brunswick. Right. I am. And. It's a big jump. Like, how old were you when you moved out here? Uh, I moved to Toronto, or Miss Sagamore, uh, really, uh, 1984. Really? Yeah, I was 14. 14 with your family? Yeah. Yeah. What brought you out here? Work? Yeah, parents were coming to work. There was, uh, in the 80s, it was uh, it was pretty pretty booming in Toronto. There was nothing going on in the East Coaster. Mm-hmm. Probably still isn't too much happening out there. I don't know. No, I was out there actually like a uh, couple of months ago. I do you realize that people like to burn tires? They just really? like to burn tread out in the, on the road. Oh, they have yeah. more burnouts on the road than per any other highway I've ever seen. I don't think that's just a thing. I think it's just a New Brunswick thing. I think maybe they're trying to stop you. Maybe you're seeing <laughs> a bear uh, deer, <laughs> bear, moose. Yeah, yeah. totally. There's yeah. a lot of that. It looks like they can. It's in front of a house that has usually a few cars on blocks, okay. and people are like. Bruh! And you see if they can actually, like, you know. Yeah, it's a little different. That's always been a big thing, too. Uh, lots of friends were, uh, you know, maimed, wrecked, killed in, in, in car crashes as, as a kid down mm-hmm. there. Racing is, there's nothing else to do mm-hmm. for most people. If you can get a, an engine with a couple tires under it, yeah. 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 What air, well, actually, it's funny. We were driving back. We saw a guy with a front wheel just fell off his car. Just fell off his car. <laughs> it was like, Jeez. oh, boy. What part of New Brunswick? A small lumber town called Chipman. Is or it, if you're from there, you call it Chapman. Oh, yeah. Chapman. Was there a lot of French folks, or was it on uh, the southern? Tab or we, but we were a little, um, so my mom's background is French, mm-hmm. but, uh, but my dad's from Newfoundland, so we were those French newfies in town. We were those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you, so you, so moving up to Mississauga probably would have been the best thing ever when you're 14, because it's like, fuck, I'm close to Toronto now. You would think so. Um, I always wanted to leave the town when yeah. I lived in it. And I have these, we're driving through these little areas out here coming out off Highway 7. I'm thinking there's probably one or two people, or a few people, that really never go anywhere. They they, they grow up here, they live here, and they, they die here. And this is what they know. And I, I remember being like that and thinking, I want to go see all these great places. I can't wait to. But at 14, for, for me, it was a real culture shock. I, was, I had a bit of a tough time to mm-hmm. adjust to it. Just from going to, from small to big, or was it just the people? Was it the? Yeah, what was it? It was, it was everything. Yeah. I'd never seen so much, and I wanted to see. I wanted to look at everything, and I was dizzy by the time I, I got to our destination, driving through Mississauga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't come right away. My family came up before me, and I stayed down there for. Uh, I stayed back home for a couple, for about a year. Till they got Didn't settled. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, who'd you stay with? Stay I stayed out pretty much really in the woods with the uh, grandparents. <laughs> really? they, my grandparents lived about 12 uh, Bronson, a little area called Bronson Settlement. And it's about uh, 12 miles on a, it was a dirt road at the time mm-hmm. uh, out of town. So it, it was really, uh, yeah, <laughs> really out yeah. there. Yeah. Worked, worked with my grandfather in the woods, you know, five o'clock in the morning. And uh, was school a uh, thing? Like, well, oh, yeah, I went, I went to school. It was, for, it was a government thing. You had yeah. to go, right? <laughs> Yeah, you weren't just that far back, bare feet right? with like yeah, <laughs> no. ripped off jeans and ready to. <laughs> uh, maybe a little maybe. bit, of that. maybe a little bit of that. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what got what got you started in music? Like, what was it? Was it always a family thing? Oh yeah, my dad actually. It's a funny thing. This morning he was on the radio in uh, I say that um, in New Brunswick. So he's gigging more than the rest of the family. And there's yeah, my dad plays probably every week. Really. Yeah. Is he uh, is he still working and stuff like that, and or is he retired? Like, how's this? I's totally retired. Country. Yeah. That's the best part. Yeah, he can play more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know people that are like they retired and they play more than all of us put together. Like Cleve Anderson from Blue Rodeo. He he didn't take like Blue Rodeo. He's just mailman for like thirty years. Wow. And he retired. He plays every day now in the city. Like I bet he's playing a gig right now somewhere. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Let's go see him. I know. That's a cool idea. He's a cool dude. But so your dad's playing still. Yeah. Did he write? Does he write? Yeah, he's got a couple of tunes. Oh. Uh, he recorded something a couple of years ago. Um, I know his stuff is country, newfie music, I guess. 
It's coming kind of back, thing. man. It's coming. Nobody back. wants to hear that shitty. Everything's country coming back. I know. Nobody wants to hear shitty country anymore. Like you mean adult contemporary with yeah, twang, yeah. hip hop, twangy stuff. Yeah. Florida Georgia Line. Mm. I'll get you in the Wheeler Walker Jr. That's my country. Wheeler Walker Jr. You know that shit. So he has a record <laughs> called Redneck Shit. Oh, hey, we yeah. gotta look it up. Yeah, <laughs> I'll play it for you. My wife plays a guy, a guy that I, I like, and I can't remember his name right now, but I like a couple of them. I, I, I'm just, I'm all over the map, right? Yeah. I don't listen to much anymore right now. I just don't like this. Just, there's not any sincerity to any of it, to that, you know, pop, country, whatever. Mm. It's just nothing to it anymore. It's, it, it doesn't, I mean, country used to just be about like home living stuff, but all they've done is masked it and put hip hop beats and then talk about i don't know yeah i suppose i I, you know i i like a lot of different weird shit but i grew up with i mean really old country Mm -hmm. stonewall jackson and merle haggard and like first i I mean second generation stuff yeah that's my uh yeah yeah Yeah. so that's where your dad weaned you on that yeah totally yeah so were you like what what got you into heavy metal and rock and roll and stuff like jesus what did that Hmm. what was your first heavy metal record Oh, Highwood Hell was probably like the biggest. Yeah. I, I, we can't call that heavy metal, but well, I don't know. Like that—that's that's the odd jump. Judas Priest was heavy metal when I was a kid. Yeah. And today, that that wouldn't really be. But I mean, they coined the term. I mean, those groups coined the term that's heavy true. metal. So Black Sabbath. Like, yeah. How can you not call Black Sabbath heavy metal? Mm-hmm. Um, it, truthfully, at, in, in in the early '80s, I, I was kind of afraid of that stuff. I didn't like Sabbath all that much. Mm-hmm. And those bands and. Uh, ACDC even but when I got to Toronto when I got to Ontario I just uh, it was more of a defense mechanism I kind of uh, adapted and I started to get into heavier and heavier stuff mm-hmm. um, I had friends that were into like Venom and really hardcore bands but I liked vocals so yeah. I had to have a singer there and I liked stories because of the country stuff that I grew up on yeah. so I needed to hear music about something so I, I got into Ronnie James Dio and then I went backwards and found uh, the heavier stuff that they used to do. And yeah. Found them in Sabbath. And, yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and right in that sort of pocket, when was it? 80, when did you move here again? 84. 84, and you were 14? Right. That's like, <laughs> that's just as like Motley Crue's breaking. Mm-hmm. That's just as yeah. like all that stuff is starting to like become mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, heavy, like what would be termed as modern or mainstream metal or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And uh, like I was really into like, I was for a while into like Motley Crue when I first heard Shout at the Devil because I liked stuff that sort of made my parents afraid. Like that's got uh, the devil in it. Yes. I liked the Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast album. Like that was shit that just like, I loved it because it really freaked out people who were like, whoa, on the outside. It was my music. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I bet you ACDC was just polar opposite to what your dad would listen to. Oh, yes. So your dad would listen to that and go, what the? And that's kind of how we all function, right? We always revolt against our parents. <laughs> I remember him doing that too. I mean, this is a little earlier on, but when Kiss came out with Creatures of the Night and they had a video, which videos weren't yeah. a big thing yet, but it was on some kind of MTV or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the people were walking along with the... They look like zombies in their eyes. Like, look, that's what they're going to do to you. That's what, <laughs> it's just, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's sort of why we, why we get into it. That's why people get into punk rock. That's why people get into music that their parents don't like because it's like it makes your parents, it gets a reaction out of them. Yeah. Like I'm cashing it from my son. He listens to like hip hop and his music's with every F-bomb and every type of that. connotation, <laughs> everything involved. Because I'm like, hey, hey, oh, you can't play this around your sister. What's going on? He's like, I know, right? And it's it's exactly what I would do yeah. if I, you know, like we used to listen to records with swearing in them because it would always make a little bit like cringy, you know what I mean? It made me cringe probably more than my parents, but that's sort of what, that's what happens, you know, you get into music as a kid to sort of piss off your parents and he does it well. My son does it well. Yeah. It used to be Green Day. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Man. What are they doing now? Anyway, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. About they're putting a record down. They're still playing, but um, I mean, you know, so so did you, so you got into music just sort of like because it was different than what you would listen to. Like, did you play? When did you start playing? Like, you were playing like sing. You were a singer. You, I, a you singer. know, I I tried to. You know, I I became relatively proficient at guitar. I I had a job once at the. Uh, Steve's music in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I, I, and I started playing. I started playing a fair bit and I got like okay at it. 
enough I could play and sing and then I could be a little bit better. And I just stopped. I just didn't really care to do that. Like, right. I don't know why. I just, uh, I wanted to be good enough to, to play and sing because you never always had a, a guitarist around you. But when I started meeting uh, players and I, you know, I met players like this, uh, this guy from Toronto, Chris Penny and uh, Roy Penny's son, if you're a country country mm-hmm. guitarist but he's just f- phenomenal when i had guitarists like that in my band why would i play you know, yeah. i've got these guys that are so good yeah um so that yeah that's probably where i when i really just just sung i just always wanted to sing yeah and when when did you put your first band together was it you instigated it or did you just join one like what's that story oh the very first band the very first band and how old were you oh i must have been f- 15 maybe 15. so you always kind of knew you could sing that well, I was, well, no, I had an older brother who always told me I couldn't. Uh, I think that really inspired me to, to try yeah. because I, t- I took vocal lessons, uh, some opera stuff early on. And um, I, I, I wanted to sing that actually for a while. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I wasn't quite the gentleman they were looking for, um, apparently. But, um, and, and then I ended up auditioning for Tommy when they had that big open call. But anyway, that's another story. Um what was the question again? First band. Yeah. yeah, I must have been 15. We were doing Ronnie James Dio and uh, what else? Uh, earlier Black Sabbath stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a bunch of kids that had, they were playing in a band really close to the school. Asked me if I wanted to come over and I said, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just came over and sing. Did they, was there a PA set up or anything? It was like... I think I was singing through an amp. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can't remember. Yeah, I mean, do you remember that first moment when you started like, hey, this is something, like, I can do this? Like, was that like when you first, do you remember like the first jam you ever did? Mm. I do. I remember it, but I wasn't as into it. Like these, I don't know, there was an older crowd of kids there and it wasn't really my my jam. I didn't really, I didn't really get into it that time around, but they they wanted me to sing for them. So I would come by and do it. I don't think we ever did a gig. I think the first gig that really showed me I wanted to do this was with my brothers. My brothers were already well-established and playing and doing records and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they had me up on stage at, at, a, at an outdoor festival in New Brunswick when, when I was visiting. I was visiting one summer mm-hmm. because my whole family went back to New Brunswick and I stayed. Mm-hmm. So sometime in the early mid, early to mid-80s, I guess, I, I went back to visit them. I can't remember what year it was, but anyway, went back to visit them and they, they had a gig and I got up on stage and did a couple of ACDC tunes, old ACDC stuff. And I was like, yeah, that, I was that. the crowd was really into it and it was, it was a big crowd. So mm-hmm. it just felt natural. Yeah. There. Do you, I mean, playing in front, why, why people play on stage is sort of like, that's the thing, you know, you've when it, there's a bunch of eyes on you and there's, there's, there's sort of that, like there's attention being, mm-hmm put to you as as in and that's what people aspire to when they play music it's like it's that's the you know when everybody says oh i just want to make records and mm. play in my basement they all want to be on stage and they all want to be in front of thousands i believe of there are a lot of people who are like that but we never hear of them and some of them are great musicians yeah i think there are some great guitarists that never get out of their basement but they don't you think that there's that spark why they do it or because it's like why do people do things like that so why do people climb mountains well for the people we see yeah for the people we do get to see yeah definitely there's um maybe i don't know maybe their parents didn't pay enough attention to them i don't know but they're looking for that attention Mm -hmm. there's no doubt about it i don't want your attention why are you looking like you are (laughs) why do you have yeah that huge mohawk and what are you doing (laughs) yeah you're trying to draw attention don't want to be seen yeah i know right and that's sort of like well i mean that's a human nature thing and you're pretty smart at that stuff you know, when it comes to like looking at someone and sort of figuring out who they are as a person, you know, and that's sort of what you ended up doing. Like, I mean, we're taking a huge jump forward, but playing yeah. in bands and touring around, and you also had a trade. You're iron right, yeah, I was an iron worker, and I mean that is dangerous shit too. Like, yeah, and that was part of that too. Like, it was something that no one I knew could do. Mm-hmm. That was the draw. My my draw to that, uh, the drummer I was playing with at the time the drummer i'm playing with tonight <laughs> was an iron worker in 1990 92 or something i got into that and i saw a picture of him and his connecting partner one guy was on the column and this is a high rise over top of, of toronto probably uh, probably 400 500 feet in the air and he's standing on the beam and i thought 
Jesus, that's cool. Man. Yeah, <laughs> I want to do that. Uh, if I gotta, if I've gotta get up and go to like a regular people or job, I I want to do that at least. I want it to be cool. And that's was it pre sort of like safety safety stuff? Like, oh, it was just on that edge, yeah. and people were like, "Yeah, you got to put it on, but you, here's how you don't have to worry about tying off." <laughs> that was that. Well, you yeah, still yeah. see that, what, right? When I'm talking about, I mean, you've a, you've a regular, you've been a rigger. Yeah, no, I have, but also there's way more um, stringent oh, rules yeah, no. about like load bearing and and what you fly and how you fly it and how you know. But because of death, things by iron workers change happens yeah. and there's no preemptive like because human nature will just find a reason to die like if you'll be up there and you'll be double tied off and you'll be a 400 feet in the air and you make one little mistake and you're dead well the guy on the ground makes the mistake rigging and you're dead and that's happened to many great yeah you know, really good iron workers that yeah it's not their fault yeah i remember you told me there was a good friend of yours that, that died and you could tell that you were kind of like i think you're at the end of that mm part of your career because it's like why you know i mean i could see once it starts like oh i'm 400 feet in the air eh, this is nothing you know what i mean like yeah i think that's most of the accidents well there's either the really young really new people mm -hmm. or people who've been at it for a good amount of time they're very competent and they start to get cocky yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then they make a mistake and that's it yeah and it's it's quick man mm -hmm. falling is so much faster than you would think yeah. Have you ever had any sort of close? Oh, Probably too many. That's how I got here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll start with the last one. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, this might've been t 2009. I got hit in the head with a beam, about an 800 pound beam. And that one bounced off me. Luckily I was wearing the hard hat. Of course, yeah. safety that, of course. Uh, that we have to have because it, w it saved my life. There was a big chunk taken out of that hard hat. So you can imagine the chunk out of your head. Oh yeah. Uh, but it shoved me into another wall in front of me, bounced my head off of that wall, and yeah, I bounced around a fair bit. And luckily, I was you know big enough. I was straddling a platform, and we weren't tied off because it, it wasn't that easy of a place to really fall from yeah. or to get into. Um, but I didn't go down between the two uh, panels I was straddling and got stuck. But I would have uh, would have gone another forty feet down if i had a, yeah, it would have been hole. it would have been even better even worse yeah. yeah because you might yeah if you yeah. fall 400 feet no it was about 40 this is yeah. a small but, but if you 50. fall 40 if you fall 400 i think yeah i've seen a guy fall uh eight feet and never work in the trade again really like, yeah just <sighs> just yeah. the way they land just yeah i mean and it was it was a split second i was gunning up i was on a beam line above him he handed me the gun on one side the impact gun mm -hmm. i went to hand it to the other side and he was down that was yeah. Just like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he fell backwards in such a way that it just had to get grafts and yeah. bone grafts and all kinds of crazy shit. And there's, it's dangerous work and things like that happen. <laughs> and that's why people kind of do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, Oh, absolutely. It takes yeah. a special type of person to put their life on the line for modernization and mm -hmm. building. And it's like it's the thrill. It's not the fact that you're building this big, monster building it's the fact that you're you're kind of chasing and something. it's that's enough for for a lot of people that's very satisfying for a yeah. lot of people yeah. but but for me it made me think of what what is the purpose of this and what is, i'm doing this for a paycheck now there's no more rock stardom here yeah because that's what it was like it was like you were a rock star downtown building high rises yeah of course but and they you know there's a show about ironworkers now and whatever those reality shows but Really, for me, is that really what I want? Is that, <laughs> what's this matter? So, and yeah. that was one of those moments that was like, I'm not so sure about this anymore. No, it makes sense. And then, you know, it's, a, and also, I mean, I probably, it's not so easy on your body anyways for, to people that do it for 30 years and oh, stuff. Oh, dude. I was getting out of the car today to go into the Tim Hortons <laughs> and I had this hip pain and I, I, I reflected on every, and there'll be one or two will be listening, but when you, do release this and one or two of the of the of the ironworker bosses that I've worked for the pushers on the jobs they're saying put on your belt put on your belt and I'm like I'd like to yell at those assholes today and say yeah. look what you've done to me put on my belt because they've realized that those belts are the worst thing for oh, your body oh right 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 you need a five point harness now right mm. they, the, the actual waist belts are illegal you can't wear those right well the thing is we would wear the waist belts and 
have them weighted down with bolts in one, in one bag, a huge sleever bar on the other side, yeah. and two giant steel spuds. Okay. So we're always wearing all that weight, and you've got them reefed tight. Yeah. So they're cutting off the circulation on the biggest veins. Yeah. Some of the largest uh, blood vessels in your body. So, wow. yeah. I remember there's one amphitheater call I did, and it was, I think it was Creed. But whatever it is, they needed to have stuff flown inside the the barn part, like the actual structure, not on stage. So they brought this guy in who was their rigger. And he was like, he looked like a cartoon character because he was all shoulders mm. and no waist. And no, you know, and all he did was everything was above his head. And I look up and he's up there and he's got a span set for a, for a safety. So you take a span set and throw it over a beam and then choke it off and then f- swing around to the other side. Crazy stuff. Mm. And I was like, this guy, he must make a fortune. And he just, you know, you could tell he was the rigger for that part of the show. So he'd come and he'd do all these crazy things that no one would. He'd go to these places that people would never, never go. I and mean, he sees it as, oh, I've got the greatest job. Yeah. People allow me to do this. Yeah. And yeah, but it's funny. We had a span set for safety. That's all he had. It was just, you know, and, and just, just nonchalantly. Basic choker system. Um, yeah. Terminology just a six foot span set, just throwing it over a beam and then grabbing both sides and then yeah. using yeah. that to get him over. Oh, it's just insane. Yeah. So you didn't want to, you know, I mean, did you ever have that thing like, I'm going to be into music? Like, this is music? Or, like, was the ironworking part? Yeah, it was just so that I could, uh, so you could be a rock star. Was that it? <laughs> totally. Really? Totally, absolutely. Because you make good money. Yeah. So making good money allows you to then do other... Yeah. I could work, sometimes I would work for four months and just take the rest of the year to be a, uh, play make-believe gardens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Really? Yeah. Until I ran out of money and I go back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know you're never short. Like, you always had in this car when I first met you. I was trying to remember how we first <laughs> it's met. It's funny, yeah. Yeah. And and you just sort of like, you remind me of my friend Mark. My friend Mark and I from high school. That's why I think I we gravitate. Because you have the same mentality and this sort of like evenness of a personality. That, oh, Jesus. Well, believe it or not. Like, because, mm. you know, because I like a little bit of insanity as well. But you have that. You have that. You have that sort of like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I take chances. I do this sort of nutty stuff. But you're, you're as, you're as, uh, as um, giving as the day is long. So oh, you're yeah. always like willing to help a friend do this, and that's you know I think unless they're moving. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, we all don't want to help people move. But, no, but that's that's the nature. I mean, I've helped a, a couple. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always like there's always situations where it's like, hey, let's go hang out. And then this one night we went and did karaoke. I remember that. And we was just always like. You just remind me of from my friend Mark. So, I mean, that's that's. Can I mention the strip joint? The funnest chilies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! When Jason came with us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, that strip. Joint. That was so funny, actually. Oh my that. god, that was one of the best times. Yeah, that was the night where we went there, and then we. I think we ended up on the Danforth and had like long. Like oh a, yeah, <laughs> some Greek joint there. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Because Jason was in. Uh, he was in Foursquare. And then he was in some other. Mudman. You know. uh, Mudman after. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he. Yeah, because that space that I recorded in was where I kind of, that's where I met him. And then we ended up by moving my studio to them. He joined the band. <laughs> what a funny time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Leomani. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he's a, he's a good soul. Still is. We Fantastic. toured all over Europe together. Oh, yeah, that yeah. must have been fun. Yeah. You guys, fun. just one of you is uh, alone, and then the two of you is together. Just it was a, a bit, blast. Yeah, <laughs> a bit crazy. Outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you kind of, you never, you know, when I first met you, never really drank, but you, you had, you had like, well, you know, it's like we talk about how you know, it's a big leap from where I was to what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. I, it's been a lot of small kind of jumps. And in my twenties, I joined the, the 27 club, you know, Janice Joplin and mm-hmm. those people who dropped out because I, you know, really was, had to be revived on a, on a lawn somewhere after, you know, a pretty rough yeah. week uh, of, partying or whatever the hell mm-hmm. um, but yeah so I, I hadn't drank since i was 27 so that's 1997 so yeah the big scare yeah it was well it wasn't the first yeah it was just the last yeah so is it like yeah because i mean we were just talking i mean addictive personality is something it's like you have it and you have to keep it in check all the time mm. you know we all kind of have it in a way but some people can't you deal and handle like if you had one beer would that be it no, 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 but it it would just be something that would tell me, it would be one of those small things that would say, you know, you just had one. 
mm-hmm. yeah. all right, you can probably do it again. And, yeah. and I probably could for weeks or yeah. months. And but then it's a then slow... It's just like everything else. It's yeah. just slow. Did you smoke cigarettes? The fact. Yeah, well, I smoked when I met you, actually, because yeah. uh, I was I was dating this... <laughs> I was dating this uh, this girl who smoked uh, those Macu- oh, oh. Um, those Al Cool whatever those yeah, 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 yeah. stupid cigarettes and I was like yeah, I'll try a little bit of that and it was easy and it <laughs> just progressed into mm. something. Um, Help the voice, man. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, but she's how I found you. Oddly enough. Yes, that's right. Now that's I know. An odd little. Uh, she also worked at Steve's. I, I after yeah after, after I knew her yeah 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 she was cool she was cool I don't really see her that much I see her on the Facebook sometimes the Facebook the yeah. Facebook yeah I I don't see her at all no. on the Facebook no really oh, yeah a lot <laughs> well, of people from the past to. don't it have any that's true yeah interest in it's I forget all about that speaking to each other <laughs> you know because I've been with the same lady now for twenty one mm. years almost that's awesome so it's like. To have an old girlfriend from the 90s, <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, but we're so, it's 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, there's no little, like, oh, there you are. There you are. That's awesome. Yeah. I aspire to that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you meet who you meet, right? And when you, mm. you just, you know, you never had problems like meeting people and, and girls no. and stuff, but now you've, you're, you're married. Life, right? Yeah. Is that not, like, that's so bizarre. But for to, me to get think from, about it. Yeah, like we were just talking about it in the car and, and uh, you know, like when I was driving home a couple of nights ago and, and I was just so impressed how where I knew you were kind of before. I did just knew stories of you before like mm. the early 90s and late mid 90s to this progression to um, what you're doing mm. now is like yeah. not a lot of people do that arc. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's very powerful that someone can be here and go to here and it's and it's not an old story where someone has abuse or drug problems or drug abuse and drinking and whatever to become a mentor in grief counseling or to Mm. you know to social working because they know that other side of the fence is that kind of how you progressed into not at all i thought that that could norm naturally happen when i was you know straightening out sobering up or whatever but I never took that route at all. I, I, it, it went a totally different, different way for me. If it hadn't have been, I, I think a lot of times some of these most terrible things that happened to me that, you know, getting hit in the head with a beam or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, the really rough situation with the police and the yeah. <laughs> issues I've had. Um, I, you would think that those would be, that there would be a natural progression, but I, I didn't take that road at all. I, um, it's been slow. I, I feel like this is, just sort of picked me this route because I, I've always thought like this. I've always thought about well, why do people think that? Like I've always thought about how how do, how how is this punk scene sort of developing differently than this heavy metal scene over here? Mm-hmm. Why why do these people think like that when they're on stage? And what is that person thinking about the crowd? Why does he treat the crowd like that? Why does yeah. this guy treat the crowd differently? So I've always thought about the mental processes that so I'm behind. I've always yeah. overanalyzed yeah. that, I would say. Yeah. So when I started getting into it, I, I was doing a project management course hmm. at, at, at Ryerson. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I saw some people on, on TV and, and in the classroom that inspired me. Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking about psychology. Uh, but I sort of just put that aside. And the, when I finished the pro- the program, the, the project management program, I, I did well in it. And I was like, Jesus, I didn't even finish high school the first time around. Mm-hmm. I was kicked out of high school. Yeah. You know, but after getting in a fight. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I uh, yeah, so I thought, well, I'll just all apply and see what happens. I got in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's been a really, yeah, an odd progress. I, I get in, I actually get in in sociology of all things. So. Okay. Um, and then I, I just gravitated towards the psych programs because I've always analyzed things like that and it just got better and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say you analyze, overanalyze, um, I mean, a lot of people with their lifestyles, they don't really look at other people's lifestyles only that it's not, only to the fact that it's not theirs. Like yeah. if you're into Depeche Mode and you got crazy hair, I look at that and go, hmm, not for me. I don't, 
I don't think, well, why is that person into that lame music? <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean, like I always did. E I know, even right? that. Yeah, and I never thought flock that. of seagulls. I yeah. always wondered what, what's going on. What's over a, there? Why? Why exactly? But I always sort of like. I think when it comes with music playing and lifestyle, is that you know it's the same thing. Like it chooses you, and you become that person. You know, I toured in vans with no money, all over North America, and I never thought for a second when I saw a tour bus go by, I'm like, wonder what they're doing. I wonder how they're doing that. I wonder how that happened. You know. I mean, there was one time I was driving some elevator parts for my dad down to New York, and I saw a tour bus drive in. I saw a guy come out, and he looked all sort of rough, and I'm like, what band is that? You know what I mean? Like, that's the only time I think for a second, like, that is. They were on a bus. They must be somebody. Why are they in there? You know, what? how does that work? And then when I actually got into a tour bus, it turned into like, oh, okay, well, eh. You know, like, I, you know there's part of the romantic side of me likes being in a van but no money. Yeah. That's why I play music. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the scene, the scene from uh, um, Hardcore Logo goes through my head. You know, yeah, and traveling down the road and yeah. the highways and the cigarettes. Sure, touring and, and stuff like that, or is it always like a? Yeah, we we would. Well, not not a massive amount like yourself. It was I mean, like a bar circuit though, kind of thing. Right? Yeah, a lot of Montreal, a lot oh, yeah. of Quebec, a lot. Of, <laughs> from here or from? Uh, from Toronto to yeah. Quebec, and, yeah. and then the East Coast a little bit too, but nothing like my brothers. They did a lot more than me, but yeah. Because they had, there was a bar circuit, like oh yeah, in the eighties and nineties that yeah, it kind of got killed after a while. Yeah, you know the money ran out, or it ate itself, or this just the industry changed. I think people just stopped coming. You think? Yeah, yeah. I guess people grow up after a certain while and stop going to bars. And people that or are, they started going to see their friends who everyone was playing. Suddenly, it seemed like everyone yeah. was playing. Everyone's cutting each other's throat to make a little bit of money. They were, they would take a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars less, and it just got smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller. And you sort of witnessed all that stuff in the late oh, late eighties, totally. right? Where yeah. there might have been a ton of money in it at one point, and then all of a sudden it just dried. Yeah, I made a living off it. That's yeah. why I got into ironwork, and I could no longer yeah make a living. I would stay wherever. I would just they would leave me at a gig, and I would be in some little town somewhere yeah. <laughs> then i've been left in montreal and, yeah you know, had Same lots of money to get home no problem no, but, yeah uh, yeah not anymore but yeah it's, you know it's funny as we get a little older we start realizing hey i like a bed i like uh yeah. i like sleeping in a bed i enjoy That's that true, yeah <laughs> you know yeah. i you know i don't so it'd be so funny it'd be a great sort of like social experiment to put a bunch of 47 year old dudes in a van and put them on the same trajectory as like, we don't have any shows booked, but eh, go find some shows, go play some music and live like that for a month and just see what it does. To them. Wow. Right. Oh man. The attitudes would be so hard to, I think either that, or it would be like the most fun ever. There'd be like, I you mean, know what? I think it, yeah, it does have that. It'd be happy. There'd be this, there'd be such a swaying emotion of like, if someone said, Hey, go out to Europe and go play in a, and do a tour in a little tiny van and play a bunch of little clubs. That sounds exciting to me. But I think after week one, it'd be like, yeah, I've had enough. I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could do it. I, I don't know about do it. like. It's a personality thing too. Like, cause you yeah. spend a bunch of time in a van with somebody, you kind of get good at it. Yeah. Certain, there's certain people that I've played with. Yeah. That I couldn't, <laughs> that I know for sure. Yeah. I could not speak with them longer than, Yeah. Yeah, that's a tricky situation. Especially now. Like, I could have put up with a lot more when I was in my 20s and 30s than I could. Like, there yeah. are certain issues that I could not listen to. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm with you on that. Like, I know that swastika on your shoulder, that's got to go. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm not down with that. No. Yeah. Maybe just turn it into a box. Nobody likes Hitler anymore. Yeah. It's passe. Well, then again, it could be coming back. Look to the <laughs> south. Jesus. It could be coming back. Coming back. Yeah, I know. With oh, a that's a whole other conversation. Um, so, so I'm not going to say the buzzword because I don't want to hear those birds. Oh yeah, thank on. you, thank yeah. you. No, they have tweet, 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 tweet. That's my app I'm developing. I know. Every time you hear the T word, it yeah. it, it gets rid of it for you. <laughs> um, so now you've you you did you were in a crisis. You were on the phone talking to people. Oh, crisis line. Yeah. yeah, I just had to stop that last week because I. I've just taken too much on it. I think I'm 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 averaging about five, four to five hours of sleep at night now. Yeah. Um, so this was probably a a bad idea to add this gig in, it, but yeah, there's a lot of experience needed to handle. Like your first time when you get behind the phone and someone calls, like, how are you prepared for that? Like, how do you, you know? 
do they, well, they give you the really weak ones? Training. Like, do they can they fl- filter it out and you know give uh, give the new ones to Tim? No, not at all. It, it's, it's wide anyone, open. Yeah, whoever calls and whoever's there picks up the phone. Yeah, my gosh, and you volunteered for that a lot too, didn't you? Yeah, two years. I did two years of that. I really liked it, actually. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's just volunteering part is that is the important part because you're giving back to society yeah. after, you know, maybe did you feel that maybe you were giving back or you're just sort of giving in when it um, came to, like, you know? Well, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel as an ex sort of someone who's seen a lot of those, the issues that people are calling in with. Or experienced in some way. I'm not, not to their level. A lot of people are calling it with some really serious mental yeah. health issues, but um, I, I feel like as I have a bit of a responsibility because someone was there to guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I feel a little bit of responsibility to it, but I just outright enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I just like to talk to people and yeah, I, I, I find something interesting in, in the very worst callers. I mean, we have people calling who are very indignant even. Yeah. And oftentimes... By the time we're finished talking, they're you know, they're they're pretty good. They're all right. Yeah. They're gonna try something different today. Maybe. Yeah, you know. that feels good too. I, right? I could get it with a lot of people. I, I get what's going on, but I think it's because I've always wondered. So I've taken on those conversations. You know, we'd be backstage at you know, a bar in Toronto. Some so many bars in Toronto that don't even exist anymore. You know, what um, any of the old, old nightclub type places, and I'd be talking to people that no one else in the whole place would speak to you know they'd be sitting outside of the the backstage area or whatever you know hunched over in a mm-hmm. little couch pa- almost passed right out and i'd ask people what is going on i think from that i got a, a lot of information that became useful later yeah i think so i mean like let's talk about that because if you're talking to somebody who seems to have no hope or is sort of like a lot of people just generally pass off and say society's done with you like say a homeless person or things like that or whatever you're willing to go in and sort of figure out that person and at least give them some conversation you know because that to me was when i speak to crazy people on the streets as wrong as it sounds i'm doing it to amuse myself because i want to see what these people have to have to say you know and when i speak because i used to do it i used to have a little um dictaphone and i'd go around vancouver and i'd interview just people and there'd be a guy just sort of singing to himself, and I would talk to him with my dictaphone. I'm like, really? Yeah, just to see what this one guy was talking <clears> about, <throat> like, like all the dead rats in the walls that creates like the insulation for the houses, and he had this whole other theory as to how and why walls. And, and I was just talking to him like on the bus. And I wish I could find that dictaphone. Maybe that's why I'm talking to people. So right he's now. He probably like, and I can't say for sure. I'm not a clinician, so I can't. Uh assess him <laughs> legally yeah. but um so he's suffering from some sort of schizophrenic yeah break with some sort of psychotic break with realities having a positive schizophrenic moments hearing things in the walls and seeing things yeah and thinks certain ideas right so yeah so that that's medically treatable that's yeah. chemically treatable yeah. today i mean that person their whole life could change and i've seen it i've yeah. You know, I've I've seen these people go from yeah. being just the worst to having a clear mind and going, Holy shit. Yeah. I would never do that. Why did I do that? As, Where, what's yeah, going on now? As medication becomes more um I mean, I used to sort of think I don't even take aspirin, like these sort of things now. Now I'm on medication for certain things. It's like not you know, psychotic or anything, but I'm on I'm on i I'm on prescriptions. You know, so it's like this is saving my life. You know what I mean? Like this is what's actually helping me in life. And now that medication becomes more, um, I wonder what word I'm trying to find more finite or more involved into what the specific problem is with someone. Mm. Like they can map a brain and sort of figure out where they're thinking, like things they couldn't do 30 years ago. So, you know, there are a lot of things they can do that they couldn't do 30 years ago. It's true. Mm -hmm. But we're also given little, we're given a little fantasy in that too. Um, we're still with a, in a lot of ways we're, we're we're swinging a stick in the dark, not unlike Freud or Jung, you know, early psychiatrists, psychologists mm-hmm. did many years ago. Sure, um, they because, stick a leech on your forehead. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 not quite that that bad, but yeah. but we're still doing it in a lot of ways. We, we don't know, you know. Sometimes when people say, 
they can map that exact area of the brain and they'll light it up over here with a have you ever seen the brain bow i'm like yeah that's computer generated from what they think is happening it's not that it's not that precise at all mm-hmm. uh, we're doing a lot of work especially where i volunteer mm-hmm. at the royal right now royal ottawa is uh, doing a lot of uh, a lot of work with the uh, fmri uh, functional magnetic resonance yeah. imaging there it's pretty yeah. It's really great. But, but every time they make a decision, it's a theory. And that's how general science says it starts yeah. as a theory. And then from that theory, it turns into certain other things. And then by a certain brief testing or a bunch of testing, it becomes law. I mean, that's general. That's what I learned in high school. But we're becoming closer and closer to those theories and, you know, virtual things that are, are actually happening now mm-hmm. that were like, I don't know, like spawned from Star Trek. Well, totally. I mean, I have a friend that, uh, that uh, tests uh, psychotropic drugs on on rats daily. So mm-hmm. he uh, he he uses a, a, a very very fine microscopically fine um, glass needle to enter one neuron into it to re- enter into a single neuron in a brain of a rat. Every day he does this, and 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 uh, gives him the right amount of, of yeah. the drug, um, and he's testing like that's amazing that you can get down to that level. But it's not the kind of thing that draws people's attention. They go, uh, the fantasy that, you know, that, uh, uh, that psychology, or sorry, that psychiatry wants to, that, that science can portray to the public and they go, oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. People want to see the real, you know, they want to see fantasy ideas. They like, yeah. read your mind. And <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, but that's sort of what human nature is in a way. Like yeah. we take things that are like sciences, like a lot of people don't understand certain parts of that. Totally. And they want to make their own story up and their own perception of what they think it is. And we're in such a weird thing now where people can put something on TV and you can go, oh, that's the law where all the planets going to blow up in five weeks. Right. Or pictures of planets that we can't even physically yeah. take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, so I've seen ones where like, you know, the, the Hubble telescope can fly you through these different, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know no. if that's real. I don't think that happened. No, we're actually reading microwave uh, information. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all like, we were talking, before we turned this on, we were talking about how, you know, perception or to, what is critical thinking mm. and how, how hard it is now to sort of take what's a story and turn it into, you know, I don't know, like have fact and then make something out of it. Mm. And how people would write a story about something and then make it so fascinating. You're like, well, really? Not that fascinating. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we have to be critical. Uh, we have to critically analyze our news media, obviously. Yeah, because there's, there's a couple of different sides now. Yeah. I don't think it's totally bad either. I think, I think it's great. It, it's made the world realize that we need to be critical about, our, about the information that's coming in. And even that information that's coming in, realize that we have our own uh, filters that that it's going to go through. Mm -hmm. We're all built different. So people are going to look at a story and go, you know, back in the old days when the guy with a bad suit would sit in front of the TV screen and tell you about what happened in the Middle East, Mm. it's coming from one source. It's coming from ABC News. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and now it's not just the guy behind the anchor man. It's like 500 different stories. And, I was talking about this to somebody else about like the closest thing to real news is like live streaming. So if someone's like in Paris or something as there's a terror attack and he's filming it on his phone, that's the closest thing to real news you're going to get ever Yeah. now because it's coming from someone who has no agenda. He's just capturing what's happening. And even that is, is easily manipulable, right? If you take just the the negative things that are happening there and that's what you show meanwhile to the left over here there were a bunch of people helping each other yeah that's the only story you would get would be that video mm-hmm. that you took there's that same problem with cop um with oh, the yeah, police I mean, you're getting one angle right mm-hmm. of, of that video that they're they're holding and somehow they can just turn them off at the mm, most it's important. weird <laughs> how how does it have an off button? i don't know i just yeah it shouldn't have an off button right, <laughs> right? i just accidentally touched it and i switched it off sorry um <laughs> You go to work, it's on. Yeah. I, I'm going to help get rid of that. We're going to have RoboCop. It's just going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, so when are you, you're still learning, right? Like you're still in school? I just started my MA. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> God damn. You're 40. You're my age. You're 40. I'm 47. 47. Yeah. And you're still, you know, I mean, but 
I know professional students because I worked at the university for 10 years. Right, right. You're not one of them. Like, no. you're not living in residence and... Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, no. <laughs> I knew some of them. They're like 40-year-old dudes still living at Winters College and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. For them. It sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> for them, it's awesome. But uh, for, for, you know, for all the other students, it's cringy. Um, no but, doubt. But to, you know... So your ultimate goal at the end of all this, is it, is it for like a... You want to be smarter. You know, we all want to learn. We all want to be smarter. We want to be good at what we do. But is there another reason than just being smarter? Like, it sounds like you want to actually fix people and you want to help people. I do like the idea of the clinical sort of direction, but um, research has sort of chosen me for now. So, mm. um, With research, though, becomes, is that help on your professional level of what eventually, like, what's your end end goal? Like, Oh, right now... Yeah. Um, how do I put it? Oh, I want to develop an instrument. Um, so right now I'm sort of learning the best ways to do that. Mm -hmm. Develop instruments. I, I just watched someone yesterday uh, present their instrument, which pretty much amalgamates a whole bunch of other uh, psychological measurement instruments. So, oh, okay. so assessment tests. Sorry, right. I I got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they don't put like a forceps on your head yeah, no. it's, it's, yeah. it's very wide phrenology yeah yeah totally this guy here this yeah. guy's got a big head look at the size of his nose that's it he's yeah yeah all people with schizophrenia have big noses terrible yeah, yeah. that's horrible yeah. yeah we we did we did this yes so you have to oh. psychologists did that really oh yes yeah so yeah I phrenology think was a thing you can still buy the phrenology head really and it'll say you know all the pieces the places they think if you right. measure here on the head right this person has this personality and that <laughs> they're good at this and good at that so now now that you've you've got better tools too i keep i'm throwing questions at you now because i know we're kind of running i want i don't want to take too much time that's but, okay you can edit this out <laughs> i'm not gonna edit anything out. i love magic it. yeah right <laughs> uh do you like so now you're armed with these great tools like you can read someone you can look them in the face and go i can sort of figure out this person no no, not at all. No. You you can have probabilities and possibilities, but I don't believe that anyone can do that. You can't read somebody. And it's go, like check this out. Like psychologists created uh, um, what everyone likes to call the lie detector test. Well, there is no such thing as a lie detector test, mm -hmm. right? It's a polygraph, and and that measures yeah. physiological response okay. and blood pressure and all that shit. Sure. The physiological responses. Um, that that's the magic of uh, you know popular psychology. When a government agency takes that, I mean, we're still using those things. Yeah. The, the, F, uh, the FBI, sorry, getting American on you, but um, uh, CSIS, uh, uh, now you're going to have them checking you because I right, said the yeah. word. Uh, the RCMP, they use these instruments. Yeah. But these instruments do not tell you. They're, they're way more likely to give you false positives than they are to, to say that you're like lying. Like an actual instrument, not just like a, a, phys a physical way of looking at somebody and Yeah, like there is no way to know for yeah. sure what people are thinking. Yeah. Everyone has, has their ideas, yeah. but, but they, won't take, they won't take the word of psychologists who've created these things okay. and say, look, this, this doesn't work for what you're using it for. It's not, right. it's not any kind of, there's no kind of certainty. There's, the probabilities are very low. Yeah. Um, that you're getting their correct information. But once some, somebody's bought into that, there are instruments out there right now being used. There's something called the Myers-Briggs test. I don't know if you've taken it, mm -hmm. a, a supposed personality test. It's terrible. It's no better than reading reading your stars or you know, in the newspaper. <laughs> but people use it. Yeah. Now, there's there's people like... Um, I've heard stories of like... In, Assessment tests are better than that, just so you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the ones we've developed are better No, I know. <laughs> and there's also, you know. there's also people like, say, anti-terror... Um, board, um, um, the officers like in Jerusalem at yes. the airport, they can look at you and they can determine whether or not you're good or bad. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of questions they ask yeah. that then they can flag yes, flag no. Yeah. You know, so we have some pretty good instruments like yeah. that. That, that uh, <laughs> and I've been I've been uh, scoring those lately, and I've been yeah. I've been inputting a lot of that data into uh, statistical. So, what's an analysis average question tools. you ask to basically make a check and balance? Like, what can you talk about that, or is that sort of like a little bit? I'm I mean, some of the questions uh, there there are certain things that everyone has done that maybe not moral and maybe not exactly right. Mm -hmm. So, if someone is re always answering no, I would never do that. Those are small flags that are developed into assessment tests to go, 
hmm, that person's probably, and that's how, this is where the probabilities yeah. and possibilities come in. They're probably malingering. So We're they call it the test the malingering test. Yeah. Uh, those things like that. Yeah. Those yeah. assessments. And, and they're getting better. Yeah. Um, I want to develop something that puts together um, assessments, physiological assessments, so facial expressions, micro expressions with, uh, with psycholinguistics. So the words that we use say a lot about what processes we're using. But again, we're just using possibilities probabilities and possibilities. Those possi possibly they may be thinking this way. Possibly yeah. they may, may be going. But it's way. all possible. Yeah. And I, yeah. I do do use some of the assessment ideas that are coming from uh, Israeli border guards. They're, yeah. they're sort of at the top le end of these assessments and for good reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's also like when I crossed from Switzerland into Germany, I've told this story a few times on the show, but the guy looked at me and goes, do you have any crystal meth? And it made me like, what? No. But and that he, response, within the first five seconds, uh, that's where they're looking for that response. Yeah, you ask the most question that's like, if you had it, like, that's it. You're busted. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have you. You know, but I just think about, what? No. And he just laughed and let me go. He was also holding an AK at the same time. Like, he was sitting there with a gun, border cross. Yeah. Asked me that simple question that got me through. And I'm how, how was he? When, did he, he laughed. Did he look, well, when he asked the question, though, He looked first, right me in the face. very and clear. Said, yeah. Do you have any crystal meth? I went, no. And I giggled. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, go on. It, just to me, it, pro probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was well-trained. Oh, yeah. It sounds to me like he knew what yeah. he was doing. Yeah, because yeah, it was like, yeah. yeah. But those are the questions you mm -hmm. ask somebody. Like, Because I, I did also did a, a Peel Regional Police did something to determine terrorism, like to find terrorists. Mm -hmm. And it was like an 800-page PowerPoint presentation from a guy who worked in the States. And he would tell people like certain triggers that would like flag things and it was a two-day seminar on how to spot the terrorist you know what i mean like it, you know and a lot of it wasn't racial profiling it, a lot of it was like simple questions you ask these people i couldn't i couldn't tell you all the things but it was fascinating for you know two days of listening to this guy talk about how to pinpoint something and if you were actually good at if you had the training like a police officer usually has that training to sort of look at something objectively if you had that objective thing, it would be the best seminar ever. It, it's it's definitely very helpful. There are yeah. oh, there are only a few psychologists or psychiatrists even in, in the country, in this country, or even in the world, who really want to study it. it it's mm -hmm. the oddest thing I've found. Uh, a, a few roadblocks trying to study it myself. Um, there's a guy here named Stephen Hart, Steve Hart, um, a guy named Wagdi Loza is a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So there are very few who want to study it, and we have instruments that were developed right here, even at Carleton University, the VERA, a Violent Extremism Risk Assessment, the VERA 2. Uh, they've never been uh, validated by psychologists. And I'm like, why? Why are we mm -hmm. not on this? <laughs> Interesting. We should be at the cutting edge of this stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I don't know. So at the end of it all, what, I mean, what would you call success out of all of this for you? Like mm -hmm. um, a profession, like are you, would you want to be a consultant in any of this? Like, like how is like cause well hey, the the problem is that right now the more I learn the more I realize there's so much more I don't know mm -hmm. and I like the way the direction it's taken I love this program the statistics in it are killing me but it's it it's challenging but it's it's enjoyable and the people are just great to talk mm -hmm. to about these things and I think I develop different ideas about where I want what I want to study um, it's funny that we we got into this part because I I'm working with uh, people who've worked under. Steve Hart and I, we get talking about these things. I'm like, man, I just want to get back into that. But, yeah. but I'm studying aggression and violence, uh, planned aggression, uh, reactive aggression, the differences mm. between the two. And yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, planned aggression means you think about it, and then there's there's aggression. Yeah, and and reactive what, what means just somebody bumps into you, and that's it, and you go off. Yeah, um, it seems to be a, a big difference between. The two people. I mean, are you? Is there something you're going to get out of this, or are you just, you just freaking out because you're aggressive, <laughs> naturally? Yeah. No. I, and, yeah. and psychopathy works its way into that too. So, yeah. Psychopaths have a lower uh, level of affect, so they don't they don't respond, but they'll plan something out to get what they want. Really? Oh, yeah. Because I didn't think psychopaths had sort of like a agenda. I thought they were just mostly just like had no con the fear of consequence. Isn't that a psychopath? That, yeah. The, it, 
it's the fear that they lack. The, the biggest difference between someone who's antisocial personality disorder, which is often the case, psychopaths often are antisocial personalities, mm-hmm. uh, but they have no, they don't have the affect. The biggest difference between the two is the extra is the the low affect. So they don't have that feeling towards other people. Right. No fear. Yeah, comes into play as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that stuff. Fast. I mean, because we, I work in the artistic community and mm. there's a lot of people you can kind of read now like as you get older you read people and go okay i know i know your type you know what i mean like i know there's certain boxes you can put them in and mm. say i'm going to treat you a certain way because this is how i can cope with this lunatic and lunatic is a loose i'm not a professional <laughs> but they're a fucking lunatic you know what i mean <laughs> you know yeah. we we have in the in the entertainment industry there's tons of narcissists there's tons of people yeah. who have no you know, probably borderline psychopath too, who just have no understanding because they're brought up their whole life as a musician that thinks like they're the smartest people, they're the brightest people, they're the best people. Yeah. Those are the worst people to deal with because you're like, well, hey, you're not, you're not really dealt with one last night. Well, their personality is developed by, you know, everything around them, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's Well, people listen to them and they, they, they say things and people listen and do what they ask them to do. Mm. I mean, that's crazy because nobody goes to them and go, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of nuts. You know, maybe you should think about this a little bit. Oh, I mean, last night there was a guy, uh, four cellos, four cellists playing, all from Russia. And the guy came up to me and goes, uh, I don't like the way it sounds. I go, okay, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I want it to be more like it's on the stage. I said, well, it's an empty house. I'm trying to give him like some sort of professional, like there's tons of people going to be in here. You need it to be louder because they won't hear you. Well, turn the mics off. Turn the mics off. I love it. I'm like, okay. Well, what do you think? So what do you want me to think? You know, I just turned the mics off. You know, so I'm trying to have this, you're right, I'm wrong. And then finally I said, you know what? I just let you walk yourself down this road because you've been here for an hour. I've been here for two years. And I know what this room sounds like full and you don't. So yeah. how do you, you know, some more, that's more or less conflict resolution really. Than- M- much smaller than that. I come into a rehearsal studio every week now. Mm-hmm. And the board is always different. <laughs> and it's always back to this flat, I don't know what the hell they've done to it. Yeah. But I mean, once you know the room, that should be it. Like, yeah. you know, you shouldn't have to EQ it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. But. Uh, well, you have still haven't told me kind of where do you want to be? Like. Can you pause? Sure. Yeah, just for a minute. I just. There we go. Okay, we're back. Uh, um, where were we? <laughs> you is, this okay? thing on? is this thing on? This thing is on. Okay, you you yeah. get, get pissed out of the way, and you got a gig to go to. So I'm yeah. not. Yeah, gigging. Wow. Yeah, right. I'm you remember all the words? Guys. No. Yeah. I did. Oh, you know what I realized this week? Yeah. The last couple weeks, listening to the tunes, I didn't know the words ever. So, <laughs> I've never. I did this stuff for five to ten years, on and off. Like whenever someone sure. wanted to hear this, this. Uh, this neat little thing we got going on. Mm. Uh, and I never really knew some of the songs. That's hilarious. Or someone else doesn't know them. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> the lyric thing on the internet maybe doesn't know them. I don't oh, know. that's the best one. Because I tried to find the lyrics to some songs. And it's people like mostly from other, you know, like so from France or something trying to decipher English lyrics. And right. they're never right. <laughs> right, right. That's that, that's happened, definitely. It's never right. But, um, well, I mean, you're going to... You're going to finish school. Mm. I keep coming to the We same. think so. You're going to finish school. It's going to be how long from now? Well, I'm going to do this MA. I'm going to finish it in two years. It's two years. Okay. So. And then I'm going to think about the PhD. So 49 PhD by 53? Uh, I don't know, but PhDs, yeah, probably. So you'll be a doctor? Um, Dr. Tim of Williams. sorts, yes. Yeah. Mm. And then you will be... A psychologist or a psychiatrist? Well, the direction I like is the uh, the clinical psychology right. route. So, like um, psychiatry is kind of much much different. It's a yeah, of course, it's an MD. Yeah. So yeah. back to a different schooling. You're giving you're giving uh, you're given tools to to assess your and to fix. Psychiatrists, from what I gather, are, listen. Hmm. They don't give you really like, tools to go with. They're, there, there's some really tools. great people in the Ottawa area. I got to say, yeah, there there are. Uh, psychologists who are psychiatrists out there, uh, okay. one or two, yeah, and they seem to have the best results that I'm hearing. So okay. I'm yeah. just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
people who are armed with both sets of tools, I think, give their uh, clients the best outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Or give them at least the possibilities of best outcomes. It it really requires people to be uh, active in, in their own recovery, mm-hmm. I think, so far. Well, in psychology, too, you give someone a tool to, to take home and do homework. Uh, best psychologists are, are yeah. their worst. Uh, they're, they're the worst at giving themselves work because they, yeah. uh, they teach you how to be your own best psychologist. I yeah, think. yeah. Oh, well, that. you know, like I said, you've you've come a long way, you know, from almost dying at the age of twenty seven to 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 now twenty years later. Wow, twenty years. That's eh? twenty years ago. Man. To to you know, you've changed your life, your baby on the way. Oh right. My baby married. I do. <laughs> Just like you're an adult, like a real man. Wow. You're a man. That's crazy. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. So uh to uh, to be continued. When you do your PhD, then come back on the show and we'll talk about more stuff. That yeah, we'll see about. what happens between now and then. Who knows what I'll be doing? Yeah, because yeah. I don't know anything about that stuff. I don't either. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, they teach you how to learn, though, right? Teach you how to teach yourself. There you go. That's a good way to go. Thanks, man. I agree. And that was my friend, Tim Whalen. Smart guy, right? Article. And that was... You know, one of my one of my more favorite episodes because it's good to reconnect with old friends. Tim Whalen, thank you so much for doing the show. I don't know why I called you Tim Whalen. Tim, thanks for doing the show. Thanks everybody for checking out Amazon for the show to help the show out by going to Applelog.ca slash Amazon or Applelog.ca slash US Amazon. Hey, support the show out everybody. It helps the show out everybody. Thanks for the Patreon folks, uh, people are, for, are my patrons for helping the show out every month, every month. Now, some people have been on there for almost two years, and I appreciate you guys doing that, supporting the show. Go tell a friend. That helps. It really does help it out. It costs you like five bucks a month or four bucks a month, and you'll be supporting the show. It's great. Thank you so much, all those people, especially you, Mike Pitts. It's been on there since the beginning of Patreon for me. And also everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, all right, so there we go. Next week, uh, it isn't nailed down yet. It's supposed to, the interview is supposed to happen tonight, so I can't tell you, but it's not probably going to be Ford Pier. Ford Pier is, uh, is a musician based out of Vancouver. He's played in everybody's band. He uh, Last time I saw well, I mean, he used to play in the Statics. He was on their last Massey Hall show, Ford Pier. I mean, if I can't get Dave Bedini, then I'm getting Ford Pier, goddammit. So anybody, thanks so much for listening to the show. <clears throat> every, every week, it's so much fun to do. I really enjoy all the new new people that, that have signed up. And uh, I, I really enjoy the fact that the downloads keep growing and growing. And um, congratulations to you folks, because I've actually downloaded more episodes this eight months than I had the year, two years before. So everything is, like I said, growing hard and fast. And I got to start coming up with maybe a little bit more better content, <laughs> rather than me just prattling on about the olden days. So next week... Probably going to be Ford Pier, but prob- that's probably going to be Ford Pier. Anyways, see you next week. Bye.